0: We have, a, uh, we have a great worship leader, eh? Hmm? And a great bass player too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, got <to clears throat> a lot going through my mind during that worship time, so. wasn't talking to you, I was talking to God. We can do this, not we can do this. <laughs> Sorry, Humor's the way to get out of that, right? So that's, whew, okay, good. Um, Genesis, we uh, still in Genesis, yes. Uh, continuing in chapter four and five, actually this morning. And I want to do actually a couple of message messages on the second half of four and five, which is basically genealogies. And you're like, oh, great, two messages on genealogies. And yeah, yes, we are. Um, So, uh, but in some sense, the message today is what I would kind of describe maybe as a little bit of a step back, right? Like to to stop, you know, sometimes you're going through a book of the Bible, uh, you get to a point where you kind of go, okay, wait a second, I need to step back for a moment to get perspective and remind myself of what is going on in this, like the big picture stuff. Um, And and I just felt like, because really in chapter, uh, the second half to chapter four, especially we begin between here through really uh, the rest of chapter 11, there's just so much in there. uh, We get this little bits and pieces of information that just seems so just disjointed and broken. And, And there's so much debate and there's so many perspectives that are, uh, that have been, you know, given and people have about these, uh, you know, different things, uh, you know, the flood, what that is, the, you know, Tower of Babel, what is going on there? Uh, you know, here, the genealogies Methuselah, he's 965 years old. What's up with that? Uh, you got the, you know, of course the, the Nephilim, right? What is going on there in chapter six? So there's so much that's kind of going there. And I just felt like, okay, God, as I started to prepare, is like, We need to take a step back for a moment, and and we need to get a perspective that I want to try to offer um, this morning, a perspective of the reality that this book that we have is the inspired word of God. So the struggle, just to bring you guys into my brain for a moment, is understanding that this is the word of God, and I am not. (laughs) So to be in a position where God calls me to share what's in here, is yeah it's heavy because i know my own flaws my own weaknesses my own arrogance my own misunderstandings and i know i'm just a human being and who am i who am i So we have the word of God that is inspired by God. And so I want to talk about that this morning to spend some time uh, just recognizing what that means. What does it mean that this is the inspired word of God? because I think we need to have that understanding. And if we do have a good understanding of that, then that will help us to deal with these pieces of Genesis that are so hard to understand and that sometimes don't make sense and that we maybe wanna tend to try to fill in all the gaps and try to deal with all the different things that don't make sense in it. If we can have an appropriate understanding of how God has communicated, then we can maybe more humbly look at the passages that don't make sense to us. Ah, lovely. Ah, Sorry. In four and five, chapter of Genesis four and five, we see a lot of division over the timeline that is offered here. Uh, the, the generations of adding up those generations and what does that mean? And so how much time has elapsed and how much time is, is, is processing through or going through that in, that, in the gen- genealogy? Uh, we also see there's a real tendency for us to fill in the gaps. When we read scripture, this is true of all of life. When we get a little bit of information or see a little bit of stuff, we're always trying to fill in the gaps. Actually, this is where conflict so often comes in. You are my favorite. <laughs> we we uh, conflict comes from the fact that we we hear a word or two from someone. And we begin to fill in the gaps of what we don't know. Like, why did that person say that? What do they mean by that, right? And so we begin to try to fill in those gaps because we as human beings, we need to know it all. We, we want to understand it all. we want to understand as much as we can. And that's a God-given thing. He's given us that, right? This is part of being uh, created in his image. But we do the same thing with scripture where we you know we get a little bit of a piece of something and we go what's that mean and so we want to fill in the gaps and so we try to extrapolate all these different things out and every time we begin to extrapolate and trying to fill in those gaps we begin to go outside of god's word but the problem is we tend to as we're filling in those gaps somehow also place god's word in our extrapolations if god said this then that means this and now this is also god's word instead of just going no this is god's word maybe it means that and we can maybe extrapolate it out to there but maybe not so we have a tendency to fill in the gaps and then also i think we've seen uh you know these first 11 chapters of genesis a lot of people inside actually and outside the church have attacked scripture and its reliability because it doesn't match up sometimes or it contradicts in some sense other historical you know, documents that are out there that are, came from the same time as this or were predate this, right? You know, written maybe 1,000 years or you know, at least 800 years before the Genesis was written down by Moses. Uh, uh, and so anyway, so there's a lot of unknowns here, a lot of conflict over this. And so, a proper perspective of the Bible can help us to resolve some of those conflicts. And so, this morning, I want to try and attempt to define a little bit and defend God's Word. Because God's Word is truth. This is, again, the Bible is God's Word. It's not just simply a collection of religious writings. It's not just something that, you know, a bunch of people, followers followers of God, wrote a bunch of books, and then, you know, this is just kind of what they, you know, wrote and what they thought was right. The Bible is the inspired word of God. God has chosen to reveal himself through writing through inspiring individuals to write down what he wants them to write down. But, and God inspiring. Now, I want to read this passage first before we get there. We already read 2 second, uh, second Timothy. That's a key passage, understanding that all scripture is God-breathed. Interesting word to use, God-breathed, right? This idea that it is inspired even comes from that. But also we see in 2 Peter An interesting passage as well. In verse 20 and 21, 2 Peter chapter one says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we see that scripture, the Bible was written not by the will of man, but by the inspiration of God, that he was the one that stepped in and inspired men and women, I guess, well, is it women? I don't think any women, (laughs) men and men to write God's word. It is not that he, God literally wrote it down. Okay, so God didn't literally just like, you know, they were walking along and all of a sudden stump, Oh, what was that? Oh, hey, look at Book of Genesis. That's cool. Wow, what's that about, right? And and it's not that kind of thing. You know, almost like, uh, you know, in the Mormon religion, you know, Joseph Smith finds these these tablets, right, of, you know, that were written by God that were there for him, right? No, 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 that's not what scripture is, okay? It's God didn't write this stuff down and then just kind of like give it to us. And it's not that God took control of human beings and wrote through them, right? He didn't like indwell some human being and then forcibly write these words that he wanted, right? Human beings have our own free will. We're able to choose how we want to do things and what we do. And God instead is the one who inspired them to write. God inspired every author and every truth that is written in his word but he also allows because it was inspired and not controlled dictated. God allows the personal experience and the character of the individual author to be expressed. This is kind of tricky. we will get into some of that details in a minute, but he allows the author to express himself as he would normally. And yet God is inspiring him to write what he writes. God also spoke to the hearts of of men. Again, but not that every word in the Bible was dictated by God. Again, it's not that they are just sitting there writing and God is standing there. And in the beginning, God, got that? Got that? In the beginning, not big inning, beginning. No, it's not dictated. God is, again, inspiring them to write. Actually, much of, much of scripture is simply history. It's just simply history that human beings are writing down. Now, God inspired them to write that down, but it's just simply history. And certainly history is God's right story. God inspired authors to write their accounts of history, of wisdom, of poetry, and even apocalyptic prophecies. God God inspired people to write the truth. Sometimes God inspired them to write simply truth. Other times God inspired those with truth to write. in other words sometimes god said hey here's the truth write it right through their own personal experience what they realize sometimes god speaking to them in their minds as they're writing or whatever it may be at different times other times there's someone with truth that they learned in life that god inspires that person then to write it down so god's word is inspired by god all the truth in here was inspired by god's people to write it down and make a record of it. And the Bible, again, as I've said, is true. So let's talk about its inerrancy just briefly. The Bible is errant, there's no errors in it. Now, this is shocking. And there's a lot of debate actually about this, even within the church, of whether or not the Bible is inerrant, which means it has no errors, okay? Um, Some that, you know, it would argue against that. And it's kind of shocking if you think about it. If indeed this is inspired and not dictated by God, if this is indeed inspired and God didn't come down and write it himself in some way, if actually that human beings had the ability to, their character and their perspectives were able to be written into this, how can it possibly be without error? And so let's talk through a little bit of that. All history, all science, and all facts in the Bible are true in their time and perspective. What, I'm, what that means is kind of flesh that out a little bit. Truth is in what is affirmed in Scripture. So, you know, think about the, you know, some people contradict or criticize the Bible because it talks about the sun rising and setting or the sun stopping its movement and they say, oh, well, see, they believe that the sun moves around the earth, but that's not how it works. We know that now. And so obviously the Bible is an error. No, no, no. It is true to the author who is writing in the perspective that they're bringing to the passage. They're writing about their perspective, they're not saying that this is how it works. We need to understand in the proper context, the time and the perspective of the author. Even in this, there's uh, criticism because there's different accounts, especially in the New Testament, about Jesus's events. I mean, you think, think about the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're all tracking the life of Jesus. And although there's a lot of similarities, there are also quite a few differences. I mean, just take the Sermon on the Mount itself. In Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount was all given at one time. In Mark and Luke, it's given out throughout his life. So what is it? Did Jesus actually sit on the sermon uh, on some mountain and and teach and give the whole thing in one breath, you know, the the three chapters in Matthew, or did he just give it little snippets throughout his life? What is true, right? Well, because they're different, that means one has to be wrong and the other is right, right? No, it doesn't mean that. Each author is writing from their own perspective for their own purposes, and in that they are using literary devices in order to communicate the truth that is there. The Bible is true in all that it affirms. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's an affirmation, uh, affirmational statement. It's saying God created the heavens and the earth. That's true. However, there's other pieces that are just reported And those reports aren't necessarily true or something that we should say, oh, that's God's word to us uh, in this sense. So let me give you an example. Uh, Just because the Bible records something doesn't mean that it's affirming it. So Gideon's fleece is a famous one everyone knows the story of Gideon. God calls him to go out, you know, and and lead this big battle, and he's like freaking out. He's like, no way, I'm not a general. I can't do this. And so he says, all right, God, if you really are calling me, I'm going to put out this fleece outside my tent, you know, a little, you know, welcome mat, right? And then I'm going to go to bed, and when I wake up in the morning, if there's, you know, if it's all dewy on my mat, but there's no dew anywhere else, then I know it's you. So he does that, right? And God you know, he, he comes out and it's all dewy. He's like, oh my gosh, you know, I must be, but no. Okay, God, you did it once, but, but twice. So now he says reverse. I want to dewy everywhere else, but not in my mat. Comes back the next morning, God does it again. All right. So now we hear this all the time. I have done this. So don't feel like I'm like attacking you if you've done this, uh, but we hear all the time. Well, you know, if you really want to know what God's will is, you need to put out a fleece. Well, literally, do we put out a fleece, first of all? I mean, is that what we're supposed to do? I mean, should we all have our Christian fleeces that we hold in the closet, right, and bring out on special occasions, right? Or, and what we usually mean by that is we need to kind of say, okay, God, if you really want this, then do X, Y, or Z or whatever it may be that we want them to do. But understand that's not the point of Gideon. Actually, this this shows Gideon's lack of faith in God. And because God was willing to actually give in to his demands is because of his grace, not because that's how God works, not not because that's how we can manipulate God so that we can know for sure, so that we can step out, right? Okay, God, if you really want me to go to Afghanistan, then I want you to bring a squirrel into my house and they'll drop the nut right on, you know what I'm saying? We get all these crazy things, right? So it's like, oh, he didn't do it. I mean, God can do anything. He didn't do that. So it must mean I got to stay here. I'm not going to Afghanistan, right? You know, this is crazy. Uh, uh, Also, you know, uh, Saul does this. There's this weird story in 1 Samuel 28 where Saul goes to a witch, the witch of Endor, right? And God shows up in the vision of this witch like so, I mean, it's just I mean, it's crazy. And so what do we do? Oh, well, God must you know, support witches, you know we, Hey, witches unite. Let's go. We're all cru- witches for Jesus, right? You know, no, right? <laughs> scripture is just telling a story and it's reporting what happened It's not affirming that this is the way we all should operate And it's important for us to understand that scripture is true in what it affirms Not necessarily in what it reports also, we see this tension of literal versus symbolic, and this really gets into uh, exegesis and hermeneutics and all this kind of stuff, but, and I don't want to go there, but I just want to mention just simply this, that both literal and symbolic are in Scripture, and both can be speaking true statements. Uh, and we just need to understand that there's some tension there. Not everything in the Bible should be taken literally. Literally. Okay, most of us, I think, get that, but some of us struggle with that. Not everything in the Bible should be taken literally. There are anthropomorphisms, there are poetry, there's apocalyptic, again, prophecies. God doesn't actually have arms and hands and legs and eyes and ears. He doesn't actually have that. We know that because scripture affirms clearly that God is spirit. He has no physical body. And so he doesn't have arms and hands and all of that kind of stuff. Judgments that we read about, especially in apocalyptic literature, we should be careful taking those literally. Does the moon literally turn to blood? Mm, Probably not. Even think about the story of Moses and the plagues. Did the Nile River literally turn into blood? Was it actually blood? Maybe, or maybe not. It looked maybe like blood. Certainly, it looked that way. Whether it actually was or not, we don't know, right? So we need to understand there's literal and there's symbolic. And it makes it a challenge to understand scripture, especially for us who are so far removed from when the Bible was written. But just because something is symbolic doesn't mean that it's not true. Symbolism still describes true events. God does protect us like a strong tower. God isn't literally a strong tower, but he does protect us like a strong tower would have at that time. And so literal and symbolic, we need to be able to recognize both of those and understand how to do that and then be able to understand what the truth is going on in there, okay? Uh, So how do we do that? And this is, again, we're continuing in exegesis. These are fancy words for how do you understand what scripture teaches and what it's saying. We have to understand, in order to do that, we need to have to understand what the author meant. So, uh, we we hear today the originalist judges in on, on regards to the Constitution. Okay, originalist judges have the perspective basically, and, and maybe I'm gonna butcher this, but you know, bear with me. Hopefully I get the basics right here. Originalist just, just, justices generally believe that the constitution, although it was written a couple of hundred years ago, uh, is uh, that, that it's true in, and we need to try to understand what the original framers wrote when they wrote it, why they, what they meant when they wrote it, so that then we can interpret today through their perspective 200 some years ago, right? And so it, it, that, that's the key to being able to interpret what's legal and what's not. What did they mean when they wrote these certain words down, right, in the Constitution? Uh, the other side is a pragmatist judge, and that is one who has, you know, the perspective that, yeah, it was written 200 years ago, but we need to interpret it through the perspectives of today. So what's going on in our world today, we can understand then what they meant back there, and we can add things and morph things and change definitions of things and whatever we want to do because it's a living document it continues to change and morph over time and and we can interact with it in that way. So God is an originalist. If we want to understand God's word, we have to understand what the original authors meant when they wrote it. There are so many in our world today that try to approach scripture from our perspective today and enforce that infuse that into scripture. And so the words that we have today, the images that we have today, we push that into scripture and make it make it say something that it actually is not saying. It's dangerous for us as Christians to get into a group a Bible study group, and I've heard many people have done this, uh, or do these groups are out there. I don't know how many in this room have done it. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Whatever. But get together in a group of people and say, okay, we're just going to look at God's Word, and and you sit around in a circle, and everybody reads. Maybe it's a Psalm, and you say, okay, what did that mean to you? Well, don't get me wrong. That's not all bad. We need to be able to apply Scripture to our life, but just because it means something to me doesn't mean that that's actually what that passage means. That's not actually what the author wrote. And in these groups, oftentimes you go around the circle and you'll have like a half dozen or more different perspectives of what that passage means. And sometimes they're absolutely contradictory of each other. And yet everybody walks away feeling great because they've all been affirmed in what they believe that passage says. But that's not how we approach scripture if we're going to understand what is true we need to understand what the author meant when he wrote it the truth of scripture is understood by the author we need to try to know what the author meant and again exegesis that's what that fancy word is is like trying to figure out what does scripture mean why they wrote it why did they wrote it the, the occasion for writing is so important Again, going back to the synoptic gospels, why did Matthew scrunch all those sayings of Jesus into one sermon? It's because of who he was writing to, why he was writing it, the motivation for writing it. He said, okay, I need to scrunch all these together in order to fit the perspective and the theme and the purpose for why he was writing the book of Matthew, right? So we need to understand why they wrote it, when they wrote it. Where were they at? You know, Paul, some of his letters are in jail. That makes a big difference in understanding what he wrote when he was writing those letters, right? If they, you know he's in jail, boy, that can make a difference in understanding the, the meaning of his text and who he wrote to. What's the group that he's taught? First Corinthians, we pre- I preached through that, you know, a year ago or whatever, two years ago, whenever it was. I don't know, time just scrunched it all together. Anyway, but uh, when I went through first Corinthians, right, who is he writing to? It's really important to know what was going on in that church right, to figure that out. If we can figure it out, that would be great because he is just, you know, going off on him. And then he's referring to other letters that he had written or that he would received. We don't have those, not all of them. Some of them we have, some of them we don't, right? So, okay, we need to know that information. The more we know, the more we can understand clearly what the author meant when they wrote it. We must be careful reading scripture today. We are 2,000 plus years removed We have a different language and a drastically different culture. As you have all heard, I'm sure many times, there are four words for love in Greek. There is one word for love in English. Do we understand what the Bible means when we read the word love? in a just casual reading, we will not pick that up necessarily. We need help. We need to understand which Greek word is for love that he's using, the author is using, so that we can understand exactly what that means, what he means by that. Now, on a kind of final statement on the Bible being true, I, I just want to say this because I think it's really important. And, and again, I say this with fear and trembling. God is truth, not my perspective of what his word says. Now, I may, and I hope I do, and I strive to have my perspective match God's perspective. But just because I believe it doesn't make it true. God is true. Think about the Pharisees. I I do too often, probably, because I fear being a Pharisee. I, I don't want to fall into that trap of thinking that God has to somehow capitulate to my perspective of who he is. The Pharisees weren't happy with Jesus because he broke a bunch of rules. It's not our perception or theological system that's true. It's God who is true. As a result, arrogance should be avoided at all costs. Intellectual arrogance in our world is over the top. I think we see this right now, maybe more than ever, over people's perspectives on what is true and what's really happening with the virus, with Afghanistan, with any, it doesn't matter what it is, racism. I mean, th- throw it out the topic; it doesn't matter. And there are so many who are intellectually arrogant, and this is creating division. We don't have humility in our world right now. No one is humble enough to say, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Everyone thinks, no, I've got it. I've got the truth. I've got the corner. It's me over here. I'm the one that knows. My group knows. Only if you say this, this, and this. Well, then you're okay. Now you're in. And we do this in the church as well. Theologically, we've seen churches divided. Why do you think we have so many denominations nowadays? Is it because everyone has a little corner of theology and we can't get together? We can't somehow worship together because you believe that, you know, the spiritual gifts, you know, you know everybody should be speaking in tongues the whole time during service. And I believe that maybe that's something that should be done a little bit less, you know, often in the church. Right. And so we can't somehow worship together. What is that? Right. What is why? Why? Because it's again, it's arrogance. And, as I preach that too strongly, I am reminded again of my own arrogance, so <sighs> I've got so much to say, but I'm going to save at least you know those of you falling on the notes on the notes I'm going I'm to leave the concerns for Genesis four and five to next week, and I'm going to just jump down to the last point. Because uh, I think that's appropriate for this morning, and we'll get we'll get to the other stuff later. So I you know I close, I guess then with this question: do you know God's truth? Do you know is God's word? Joshua one eight tells us that we should meditate on the word day and night, so we may be sure to do all that it says. Do you know God's word? Do you meditate on his word day and night? Does any of us? I know I don't. So how do we do that? I just, a couple of things I just wanna stay and I'm probably gonna ruffle some feathers, but you know, praise the Lord. <laughs> um, and again, you know, I'm, you yeah, know, hey, you know, you just, I just told you that just because it's, I believe it doesn't mean it's true. So you've got license to disagree with me. Um, first of all, I, I think when we approach God's word, we need to read it like it's God's word, not like a book. You know, you know we grow up oftentimes reading books, and oftentimes, you know, I, I'm not, I, I, I have a really hard time reading books for entertainment. For me, it's like education. I'm reading to get and learn something like, and so I've actually had to discipline myself to read books for, edu- for entertainment, right? And it's really hard because I'm just really not entertained. So, but um, it, it's okay, it's good. Uh, but we need to read God's word like it's God's word, not like it's a book, like it's for in our entertainment. And that means that we recognize that there's a response that should come. I'm gonna read these passages. James one twenty-two. love this passage. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourself. It goes on, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face, natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets, uh, what was I look like? I don't know, that's, that's most men actually. I, I don't know what I look like. Women on the other hand, they're, they're keen on that, they know. But uh, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perse- perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he's doing. We need to do what we read. And so I want to give a caution here to the read a Bible in a year folks. And I have done it many times. This year I'm not doing it, but I've done it many times. So I'm understand that I'm not trying to attack you if you're doing this. This is a good practice and it's not all horrible. But you need to be cautioned. The reading through the Bible in the year promotes numbness to the message of God's word because you're just trying to get through it. I got three or four chapters I gotta read today. Oh, I gotta get through it. Oh, come on, I can read faster, right, you know? Or I missed yesterday. Oh, I gotta, what, I gotta catch up, you know? So we need to be careful. If that is the only way we are engaging with God's word, we're, getting, we're numbing ourselves to the truth. It's just a book, it's just nothing. It's not God's word. We're not listening and we're not doing. Next, when we read God's word, we need to read it in context not sporadically the, the hunt and peck method of reading scripture. Oh, oh, and God says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. That's good enough. All right. Next. Uh, Finally, brothers rejoice in the Lord. And right. We cannot do this. This is not a good way to read Scripture. We need to read it in chapters at least, but best to read it in books, to read the whole book at one time. Now, Genesis chapter, you know, 50 chapters. Go ahead, read it one time. Sit down, take a couple hours if you need, whatever it is, sit down, get a nice comfy chair and lots of coffee and read the whole book in one sitting. It's meant to be read that way. It helps to read it in context. You get the bigger picture of what's going on. You hear the themes that are repeated over and over again. Especially the New Testament, these shorter letters, right? These letters were meant to be read one, you know, at, to a whole crowd at, at one time, right? It was a sermon basically. You suffer through me, you can read a whole book of the Bible, come on. <clears throat> and and so let me also give this caution. And again, here I'm going to ruffle feathers. The daily bread type Bible studies, devotionals, promote a misunderstanding of God's message because there's no context. You get, you know, five or 10 maybe verses and then they, and I'm not saying that what they're saying is wrong. Okay, you got people that are helping you to interpret it. Okay, get, get, get me. Don't don't freak out, okay? I'm not saying don't ever do the day of the bread. I'm just saying that we need to understand that if that's the only way we engage with God's word, we are missing the context. And how many of us, I'll just say this, because I've done it, how many of us, when reading through that passage for that day, get something out of just the passage and not what the person writes? So now I'm not saying God can't use that in, but do you know the context of that passage? Do you know that what you're getting out of that passage is actually true, what the author was meaning and what God is trying to communicate to you right now? Now, again, the Holy Spirit works, he can do that. Oh, I'm just gonna see it. He's telling me, get out of here. He's telling me, (laughs) knock it off. So we're gonna leave it go. So I, I encourage you to read more than just the daily bread. Actually read a whole book at a time. Okay, next read it with help. Read the Bible with help. Get a study Bible, not these little tiny things. You need the big, fat, thick ones. You know, the ones that make you look really holy. Grab one of those, make sure you have one. (laughs) And read the Bible with a study Bible so that you can read the little notes at the bottom so that it can help you to understand the context of what's going on, some of the behind the scene things, some of the cultural things that you wouldn't normally pick up on or even better, buy a commentary. You can go through the book of Matthew, all right? Look for a commentary, find a commentary, buy the commentary, read the book of Matthew with the commentary. Uh, I, I, and I'm just going to promote N.T. Wright, okay, he's a great scholar, and he does a lot of really like, oh my gosh, break, break your brain, but then he's brilliant, and so he also did a commentary series for the whole New Testament, every book of the New Testament, that is called the For Everyone series, and he basically dumbs it down for the rest of us. It's amazing, So anyway, N.T. Wright, it's called the For Everyone series. It's a great commentary series. You're going through a book of the New Testament, grab, buy N.T. Wright's commentary on that book and read it while you're reading so you can get the other pieces, get help. Meditate on scripture day and night, Josh 1, 8, right? This this is what we need to do. We need to study it and we study it by trying to figure out what the actual author meant, what the author actually meant. And worship team come up. I got one more point. As you come up, are we way over? We probably way over, right? yeah we are that's great um the children's teachers love me um finally read it with expectation listen for god's voice anytime you open up scripture even if it's in the ways that i said cautioned you about anytime you open up scripture it's an opportunity for god to speak in in essence this is i think the primary way god that, that god does speak so if you're not in here and you're not hearing god maybe you should open up the bible expect that he's going to communicate hebrews four twelve. the word of god is alive and active it's alive it's not dead it's not just words on the paper Bible is alive and and, and if we come to it with expectation that we're going to hear from God, it'll be amazing what happens. If we come with expectation that's the best way to apply God's truth to our life because when the message is not just for someone else when God personalizes that message for me while I'm reading it I'm much more apt to do it because I feel like, oh my gosh, I just had this experience with God. He said, hey, go to Afghanistan. No fleece needed. Let's go. All right, church, let's stand. We'll sing one song. I'll come back up with a closing passage. Yes, Lord, we are standing on your promises. And Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's at work and the hope that I have when I stand up each Sunday and proclaim your word is that it's your Holy Spirit that is not only helping me to speak truth, but even when I speak what is not true, that you somehow shield your people from hearing that lie and that they would only hear and accept what is true because of you, what you say is true. So Lord, just even with this message today, I thank you for that truth and I thank you for the reality that we have your word, that you have chosen to speak to us through it that the miraculous way you have inspired this to be written, inspired the truths, but you also inspired the people with truth to write, and that we can continue to learn from it today. Help us, Lord, to fall deeper in love with your word, that you would uh, draw us into it. We would recognize the beauty that's in it, The goodness that's in it, the prosper that's in it, the the blessing that's in it, the faithfulness that's in it, the love that's in it, that we would continue to come come back to it over and over again because it is just so you, and we can connect with you in it, and you bless us through it. Psalm 119, verses 97 and following. Oh, how I love your law. Are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth? Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In Jesus' name, amen. We have prayer uh, up here in the front corner. If you would like prayer this morning for whatever it may be, please come and see Derek or Glenn get some prayer. Otherwise, love you guys. God bless you. See ya.